Today we're going to do the, the second one of those, but before we just launch this, I just want to do a bit of an intro, talk about a couple of people. Um, you can see a couple of slides, a couple of photos on a slide up there of some of them you might recognise and some of them you might not. Can anybody recognise either one of those people? Billy Graham is one of them. Who's the other one? You wouldn't know him so well, I wouldn't think. He's a little bit famous, but in a totally different way. His name is Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton used to be part of Billy Graham's team back in the early days. Sadly, in fact, he was, he was a really good speaker. They used to say of him that he could have surpassed Billy Graham himself in his ability to preach. He was a great speaker. But he got tripped up somewhere along the line and became, in the, by the end of his life, completely atheistic. And that's the way he went. And at the end of his life, the last book that he produced was Farewell to God. Isn't that really, really sad? really sad. You may have heard of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel wrote uh, a series of books, one of them called um, Case for Faith. You know the Case for Christ? It's another one of those sets, the Case for Faith. Lee Strobel went and interviewed um, Charles in the closing years of his life. He had, he had Alzheimer's at that stage, on the early stages of it, but he had, they had a really, really frank discussion. And Lee asked Charles if there was something, anything in particular that he could put his finger on that finally made him go the other way. And this is what he said. He said, I saw a picture on the front of a magazine. That's not the picture, that's similar, but it's not that. He says, the picture was a woman in a drought situation holding her dead child. She had died in the drought. And he said, all that little boy needed was rain. And that flipped it for him. And he went completely the other way. Now, those are big questions, aren't they? He, he would not be alone in that thinking. Today, we are going to be talking about the second in a series of three, as Gary said. And today's one is, how can a good God allow suffering? Now, thankfully, I'm not alone in bringing that to you today. I've got a panel of, it'll be three of us. Uh, we have got um, Helen Louise, and we've got Mark, and they're going to come and join me now, and we are going to just have a bit of a chat together about this big subject. So, Mark, do you want to just introduce yourself first, and... Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, just a, just yeah, a moment, just yeah. a comment or two, yeah. yeah. Uh, morning, everyone. For those that haven't met me, I'm Mark. I'm um, 
as this a father of four, which is busy, um, married to the wonderful Vanya, who can't be here because she's looking after the youngest of the four at home. Uh, in terms of what do I do with myself, I work out at the hospital, so I'm a doctor, trying to help people get better, but they often manage to do it themselves. Um, in terms of suffering and my background to that, we'll talk about that a bit more. I was talking to Vans last night about Metro, and she said, you can talk about your right heel and what caused that. But surprisingly, that was actually before the kids. <laughs> I think that was, um, <laughs> might have been too many late nights as a student, but anyway, yeah. that's, uh, that's me. So good to meet you if I haven't already. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and Helen Louise. So I'm Helen Louise Setlow, or otherwise known as HL. Um, I am married to Glenn, who is presently hiding up the back on the sound system, so if, I don't, if he doesn't like anything I say, you can mute me. Um, and we have two children. Um, Natalia is now 20, and Bradley is just about to turn 19. Hmm. Okay, yeah. So, for you two then, this subject of suffering, is that something that, uh, how do you view this problem of suffering? Is this something that you're involved in personally? Or uh, do you view it broadly? Do you view, view it um, philosophically? So, um, Mark, if you want to take that one up first, then. Yeah. So I had a sneak peek at this question. I told Ian that I've got a really long answer. It's like the <laughs> whole thing in one question, right? So um, bear with me on this one. I think, well, to start off, I said to Craig the other day, well, the suffering starts when you put us up on stage in front of the church. But um, I'm, I'm not claiming to be an expert in suffering. I think... Um, all of us are experts in suffering. I mean, you'd be, you'd be wrong if you put up your hand and said you've never suffered, I suspect. Um, and different people suffer different things differently, you know. So one thing to someone might not seem as bad to another person might be the end of the world. So we can't judge different people's sufferings, but I suspect we're all experts in it. Um, personally, I've had a couple of pretty rugged things happen in, in our life. When I was overseas in Africa doing my medical training, my brother hit a concrete post at a really high speed and ended up in a coma. There was a stage where they didn't know if he was going to survive or not, and they certainly didn't know if, we'd ever, if he'd ever recognise us again. Uh, so that was pretty hard on the other side of the world, and I'll talk a bit more about that later on. Um, I also watched my nana um, wither to the effects of motor neuron disease, which is miserable if anyone's come across that. Um, that's sort of my personal experiences, but I think there's two ways to, to view suffering. There's the personal and emotional impact of it, but there's also the philosophical or intellectual side, and Van sometimes tells me off for being a bit academic. Um, but I think you can't sort of mix those two sometimes. Somebody might be in the middle of a really miserable part of their life, and the wrong thing to do is go and philosophize and say, well, this is because blah, 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 blah. Um, I've probably learned that personally as much as anyone else, but certainly that's the wrong thing to do. So just wanted to make that clear. Um, am I allowed to just speak a little bit to the philosophy here and then yeah, yeah, finish okay, this yeah, part? Yeah. I yeah. think it's multi-dimensional suffering. I mean, I don't think you can put God out of the picture. I think um, suffering is, I think, the number one reason people turn away from God. So let's involve God in the discussion. I don't think that God creates suffering. Now, that might be slightly controversial. You can take it up with me afterwards. I don't think God created pain and death and suffering. I think the origin relates to the fact that he set up a world and he put us in it and he gave us a free choice. And out of that free choice way back, we've rejected God. And out of that, bad things have happened. Bad things have happened to people, and bad things have happened to the planet. It talks way back in the Bible about 
crystals shattering, the earth groaning, all that sort of stuff. I think there's also a cosmic battle. Satan's trying his darnest to knock people out. And so I think there you've got reasons for suffering. But what God didn't create, I think God uses it um, to build our character, occasionally to discipline us, not something else. But I think finally, the most important thing is that God and Jesus understand suffering. God's not sort of this distant, you know, guy in the sky just handing out punishments. Jesus suffered with us and for us. And ultimately, he defeated suffering when he died and rose again. So I think there's a hope for us. And we'll come back to that more. I'm just wrapping up. Yeah. Um, but, but Jesus was the beginning of a new creation and hope. Yeah. Sorry, Jack. That's all right. Yeah. Okay, so HL. Um, do you think God should be doing more to stop suffering? Um, the short answer would be yes, really. Um, I think the, you know, as Mark said, the biggest thing that stops people from believing in God is suffering because our level of understanding on suffering we just don't really have a, a level of understanding of of suffering and, you know, the why, the big question of why. Um, the thing is that God actually never said that we wouldn't go through trials and suffering. He said when you go through trials and suffering. So he knew that this would happen. He knew that through, like Mark said, you know, free free will, um, because humans, he gave humans free will, there was the, the potential for evil, the potential for that choice. So that means that when we go through trials, not if, but when we go through trials, when we go through suffering, um, that he will be with us. And so, yeah, we could say that God should do more to stop suffering. And that would be the real, I mean, it would be an easy answer, wouldn't it? That to, to blame God for it all and to say, if God did stuff to so stop suffering, then I would believe in him or I will follow him or I will, I will. Um, the disciples saw Jesus dying on the cross and thought no good could come of this. And, you know, when we're in the middle of a trial or suffering, we go, there can be no good in this. Why? But for the disciples, when Jesus was on the cross, they felt, they felt abandoned. They felt that no good could come of this situation. But in fact, it was, you know, it was the greatest victory over the devil that there ever was. Mm. And so I think for, for us, you know, Jesus said that my grace is, grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And, you know, we're all weak. Well, I know I am, certainly. And, you know, grace is unmerited mercy. So it's undeserved mercy. You know, we've made a free choice. Um, and so, but God offers that mercy and that grace to us.
All right, so the next question then, I'm going to direct it back to you, Mark, and you may have, between you, you've, you've answered part of this already, but how much do you think that the suffering is our own fault or the fault of humanity? For example, the world does produce enough food for everyone, 3,000 calories a day, I'm told. 3,000 calories a day is enough for everybody to have the food every day. And yet corruption stops that food from getting to those desperate people who need it most. So what do you think about that, Mark? Yeah, I mean, there's so many different types of suffering, isn't there? But I think um, a lot of the suffering that's, that happens could be prevented by humans, us, acting the way Jesus would want us to act. So I reckon Jesus is a pretty good role model. In fact, better than pretty good. And I reckon if every human followed Jesus' example, that would get rid of not all suffering, but a massive chunk of suffering, whether it's starvation, whether it's being excluded and rejected and despised, um, whether it's lack of access to various services that people should have. So sometimes, and this comes back to what you said before, HL, sometimes um, there is suffering that goes on. At the end of it, we can see that there really was a plan in it all, to, uh, all along. And Joseph was one of those, wasn't he? Joseph, at the end of his life, remember his, um, his brothers put him in the pit and then sold him off down to Egypt and he, he was a slave, and, but eventually he became prime minister down there. He, he spent years in jail down there too. But, uh, but eventually he became prime minister and he said at the end of it when his brothers finally came to him for food, they sa he said to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Yeah. Because he was able, um, with God's revelation about what was going to happen, to actually accumulate food over a period of seven years. And then when the drought really started to bite, he was able to hand that back out again. So there was good in that. So do you think that happens sometimes, HL? Um, now, a few years ago, we, I had a very independent 17-year-old who very suddenly got sick. Um, and as anybody who knows who's had or got a 17-year-old, they want to be uh, independent. Um, Natalia went from being that very independent 17-year-old to be completely dependent. And that's not the way things should be. And I, so I became, went from her being a parent of a teenager to being a parent of a completely dependable teenager and being her advocate. You know, she, her, you know, medical advocate as well as her advocate at school, her advocate in everything that she was supposed to be doing at 17. Um, and at the time, you know, I was doing what was necessary. So, and I was more, I wasn't really focused at that time about what the meaning of this was. Um, I mean, this was a massive thing for our family because it affected every part of our family. Um, but I wasn't really looking for meaning in amongst it at that particular time. I was going through paces. I was doing what was necessary. Um, the, in Romans 5, it says, 
We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has put, been, been put pure into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has given it to us. If anyone who knows Natalia knows that she has some perseverance. And I would say that, you know, from her going through what she's gone through and several surgeries, you know, brain surgeries later, um, she's got some perseverance. It's built her character. It's built who she is. Um, going through this journey with her, it's probably built my character. Um, it's given me a, an appreciation for people who suffer. Um, and, yeah, so purpose and meaning, I think we can never know all of what the purpose and meaning when, from what we go through is. And a lot of the time it is in hindsight, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty that we actually see some purpose and meaning through it. Um, but for me, personally, it's more of the hope in that verse, the hope that I have in, in that, um, the hope that God's got it in his hands. Yeah, and... Um, so, yeah, I do think the, the purpose and meaning can definitely come from suffering. There's a quote up on the back wall there now by C.S. Lewis. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Did you want to add something on that, um, Rochelle? Um, do, you think, do you think that that is something that he brings to us deliberately to get our attention? I think the word deliberate is probably thing. Does God deliberately bring us suffering in order to arouse our attention? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I think it sure does get our attention, you know. Um, that, that would, to me, that would say that God has some author in suffering. And I'm not, I'm not convinced that God has some author, is the author of suffering. I think he, he, the devil uses suffering. We live in a broken world and we have the free choice. So, but I think it's more God uses those situations that we face, allows those times of suffering but maybe not the author of suffering. So maybe to get our attention, but I wouldn't say that he's the author of it. So what do you think, Mark? Well, I can't really add to that. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah you know, very much the same sentiment, I think. I I did say to Craig when he when he talked about some questions that I a little bit disagreed with the sentiment of the, the question that God was causing suffering to... Yeah. So, yeah, I know I very much agree with, with Rochelle on that one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um... Here's another quote from a man called um, Albert Camus. 
And, and this is bringing it closer now to what we were talking about earlier about the suffering of Jesus when he went to the cross. And he says, the God-man, Jesus Christ that is, suffered. The night on Golgotha is so important in the history of humanity only because in its shadows the divinity abandoned its um, traditional privilege and lived through to the end, despair included, experiencing the agony of death. Now, that's a, a big statement. Yeah, basically, God coming and living through all of that. There's some verses in the Bible, too, that talk about this, uh, about the same thing. And in Isaiah 53, it says, A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. We, he was despised and we did not hear. And then in 1 Peter, it says, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. And then in Corinthians, it says, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Yeah, and so here is God, Jesus, going through, deliberately going through, putting himself in that position to go through suffering so that he could take sin away. What do you say about that, Mark? Yeah. Do you think that it's important that God knows, that God knows about our suffering mm. and what we are in? Yeah, he knew about Jesus. Yeah. Well, I think so, probably for quite a few reasons. I think, I mean, ultimately it was Jesus suffering, being despised and being crucified that brings the ultimate end to suffering. I think, you know, we believe that that was the end of, of mm. or that defeated sin and death ultimately. Mm. We're still living in the beginnings of a new creation, but I'm sort of starting at the back. That, that has paved the way for a new heaven and a new earth. And, um, an eternity without sorrow and, and heaven with the Lord. But in, in the here and now, I think it's really important to understand that Jesus, who, who um, we claim, you know, loved, loved us, loved the world, that we, we can, I guess, respect that he's felt what we go through. And it r reminds me a few years ago, I read this book about China when it um, came under the Communist Party and, and the Maoist regime. And I'm not, forgive me, I'm not perfect with my history on all of this, but there was a story that I'll never forget. It was this Chinese pastor. And of course, there's a lot of persecution of the church. Mm. And this pastor was sentenced to work in the, the coal mines for the rest of his life. And this was an underground coal mine. And he'd been in these tunnels. And the guy never saw the light, this pastor who was down there before the sun came up until the sun went down in the evening. He never saw the light. And he wasn't given tools. So they had to scrape away the earth around these coal veins or whatever with their hands. And this guy who wrote the book, he, he ended up being put down into the mines with this old pastor. And the guy's fingers were being worn away. Like over the years, they just got shorter and shorter. So he'd, you know, he'd wear off bits and it would kill us up and it just worn down his fingers. And the guy who just got into the mines said, how on earth can you still believe in Jesus after all these years of suffering? And he said, every time I look at these fingers of mine, I just remember what Jesus went through for me. And I thought... That's a pretty powerful story because I can't imagine what I'd be like in a coal mine yeah. with years of darkness, but um, it allows us, I guess, to, to feel that we're not alone. Yeah, that Jesus, Jesus understands. So in Romans 
5, and I think I've got that one up here as well. Yeah, in Romans 5 it says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. HL. <laughs> You're getting these ones. <laughs> Um, do you find it easy or hard to rejoice in your suffering? How do you practically actually do this? Hard. Mm. No doubt about it. Hard. Mm. Um, so hard that I kind of admire those people who can. <laughs> um, it, I think it... I, I, I find it so hard that that n suffering or whatever I'm going through at the time really consumes my thoughts. You know, it it kind of almost takes over every aspect of my life. And um, and so I find it really hard to rejoice in, in suffering. Yeah, really hard. But saying that, you know, you don't actually be dancing on the ceiling either. Um Maybe, you know, maybe it's a little bit of like saying I would like to rejoice in this situation. Okay, thank you. Yeah. How does the eternal perspective of Christianity help you through suffering, Mark? Um, I've asked that question, but I want to read you this statement too. Uh, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at our troubles, at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For things we see now will soon be gone but the things we cannot see will last forever. And then in Romans 8, it says, Yet what we, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he, God, will reveal to us later. Yeah. Um, I'll stop saying that and try and give a more intelligent answer. <laughs> the, there's a bit of psychology in this, I reckon, eh? So... If we're focusing just on our suffering, then it's probably a bit tougher than if we're focusing on something that maybe can lift our mind a little bit out of our suffering. But I'm not saying that's possible or easy to do in some aspects of suffering. Um, but if we can, I guess, fix our mind on something outside of our suffering, then that will help us to some degree. Um, I'll give you a very, this is probably a bit of a silly example, but I was thinking about this over the last few days. When I was a kid, I wasn't the most coordinated kid. I love cricket, still love cricket, but I've never been any good at it. And I remember we used to, you know, I'd bike 15 kilometres into town just to, you know, throw, have, a, have a bit of a hit with some friends at school. Um, but I was often the worst, and I remember thinking, oh, it was, for me it was like suffering, you know, I'd love to be this amazing fast bowler, and I was this slow and accurate bowler, but um, I remember thinking, well, you know, this, this is a bit miserable, but at the end of it all, I'll, life will finish, 
be in heaven, be able to play proper cricket and probably be a decent bowler. <laughs> you know, that, that's a very silly example, but just to sort of say that I think there's something about, you know, if we can help our minds fix on something just beyond it. Like I say, when you're in a pit, a pit of suffering, that might not be possible, but, yeah, it's potentially, potentially a place for us. It's, yeah, it's just trying to, I guess, keep in mind on that greater goal. So is there something at the end of this can interview? I, can I just say something on that? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I think, yeah, like Mark said, it's that, it's that focus to the future, isn't it? That, that long-term focus. Um, you know, it's also the thing of, you know, we've been given free will. And so... Um, with free will, we have quite a responsibility in our actions and our relationships and our responses and, and stuff like that. So when you, and you, when, if you look down the track and you look towards eternity, um, that's quite a big responsibility, actually, I think. I don't know if I'm expressing that very well, but... Um, yeah, and when you think about people who are going through suffering and as Christians what we do for them or with them or how we reach out and support them I think that's a huge responsibility too because that shows a forward a, fu um, a present thinking as well as a future thinking um, and you know I think when we talk about the comfort of God you know the biggest thing that obstacle probably that humans have in in believing in God is because suffering exists. Mm. Um, I think it's probably one of the biggest questions um, or obstacles that people would say. So I think it's important for us to understand and know the comfort of God as well so that we can um, express to the world and know that, that that God can give them comfort at that time, too. So, um, and that all all reflects into a, a future perspective. If you kind of get my drift. Okay. So, just as uh, as we come to the end of this, is there something else I tell there? Anything at all that you would just want these people to hear that you haven't had a chance to sort of say yet in the structure of the questions that you would like to leave with them? Um, for for me, and I'm just trying to think of whether you want one thing or whether you want, you know. Um, I think in the middle of of suffering, suffering's exhausting. Absolutely exhausting. And for me, you know, as a family, we had, you know, pretty back-to-back -back suffering um, and I was exhausted absolutely exhausted and it's it's tough and I think realizing that you it's it's okay to admit that it's tough 
Um, there's something that we went through as a family, um, or and I had some work situations that weren't all that fantastic at the time as well. And, you know, that had a huge effect on me and my mental health. Um, and I think it's, you know, we live in the society at the moment that says, you know, it's okay to say that you're not okay. It is okay to say you're not okay. So, you know, um, I think we try to be, as Christians, we try to be stronger than we actually are. And that's all cool. That's all good. But are we actually being real? Um, so, one thing I would like to say is, you know, if you're not okay, you're not okay. And the other thing I'd say is, um, and it sounds really, really pathetic in a way, um, it's a little thing I saw up on a, I don't even know where I was, but it says, the best views come from the hardest climb. And for me, you know, that's a, that's a focus on, on the hope that if you're going through a challenge, if you're going through suffering, that, you know, there is a better view out the other end. Can I share a couple of quotes? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're a bit smarter than me, you see. Yeah. <laughs> the only problem is I've got to read my handwriting. Yeah, anyway, let's see how we go. I came across this um, lady, Dorothy Sawyers, wrote, for whatever reason God chose to make man as he is limited, subject to sorrow and death, he has the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he's playing with creation, he has kept its own rules and he's played fair. He cannot exact nothing from man he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole human experience, from trivial family life to restriction of hard work, lack of money, to the worst of horrors of humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. It sounds a wee bit grim to finish with that, but I think it's kind of just the, the understanding that Jesus does understand when it gets really rugged. Yeah. Yeah. He, is, he is with us, so I guess... I'll just finish by saying that I, you know, I don't think, as HS said, I don't think God necessarily authors a lot of these miserable things we go through, but He's with us through them. He understands and He uses them. Yeah. So, that's uh, okay. Well, thank you very much, um, Mark and HL, um, for your contribution. And I'll just make a few comments in the end, so you can just uh, hop back to your seats if you like. And yeah. So just as I wind this up now, I'll just make go back to where we actually were, um, where we started this session right at the very beginning. I showed you those um, those photos of Billy Graham and Charles Templeton, and Charles Templeton, uh, over the years after he first made his decision to turn against God, kept going back and interrogating. Billy and trying to uh, dissuade him from his belief in Christianity. Now, that was hard for Billy. Yeah. But in the end, 
he said this. He says, I choose to believe in God. And those that knew Billy said that from that time onwards, Billy's preaching went up a notch. Yeah, and God uh, rewarded him for that faith that as he made that decision that he was going to stay believing in Jesus Christ. I want to just talk a little bit about the faith aspect of suffering. We know the story of Job, don't we, most of us, fairly well? Job suffered terribly. He lost all of his family in the first episode. And uh, most of his servants and a lot of things happened. And then in the second episode, his health was attacked so that he came out in sores all over his whole body and so that he really despaired to even live at all. It was terrible for him. And his wife came to him in chapter 2, verse 39, I think it is, his wife came to him and said, Job, um, why do you continue to try and hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now that's not exactly supportive, is it? But as we've talked about this today, I think we can understand where she would have been coming from as well. She was seeing her suffering, her husband suffer just so much. And he and she tried to talk him out of doing it. But he made a choice. He made a choice to stay. Most of you know my own story, and I'm not going to repeat the details of that today. Um, but just to say this, that um, people have spoken to me from time to time and commended me for hanging on to my faith. But you know, it's actually harder than that. Because apart from receiving, uh, apart from losing, uh, a little daughter uh, way back at 10 weeks and then 20 years later, a son in a plane crash. And then in the middle of that, 10 years in the middle of that, we lost a, a niece who I was supposed to have picked up that day. And she was abducted and she was murdered by your Christian friend. I also had health issues and I had to close my business. But that was me. The saddest part about that whole story is not that, but it's the fact that somewhere on the road through, I also lost my wife and my youngest daughter. They didn't die, but there was this whole issue of faith, and this faith thing seemed to be the thing that was in their faith, and they could not abide it. And eventually we separated, and unfortunately, I have never even had a return phone call from my daughter in nearly 10 years. The only one was my oldest daughter, a little unwanted, who I adopted when she was one year old. And she stayed with her faith. And she was the only one who's going to me today. But it was 
my faith that caused the offence in the family. So those are core things to work through, aren't they? I do not hold that against them that they made those choices, but they is the choices. Yeah. In First Peter chapter 1, it says this, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for us. That is the hope of the Christian looking forward. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And that probably involves us all. All right? Is there anybody in the room at all who can put their hand up and say, I have no story to tell about suffering? And not a hand will go up. We all have the things that we've had to deal with. But read what I, I went mad with the highlighter on these verses. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes though refined by fire may result in praise and glory and honor in, our, in Jesus Christ's appearance. That is what Peter says is the reason for trials. You know what gold, how they treat gold, don't you? It's interesting actually that gold, I had a friend who just passed away last year actually, a friend from my whole life, he, he was a, an industrial chemist and he told me and I actually checked up on this uh, to, to um, when I was thinking about this of just a few years ago. Um, he told me that gold and silver are two precious metals that cannot be destroyed. You know that? You can actually dissolve gold by some kind of a, a liquid, a, chemi a chemical, but when you steam off the chemical afterwards, it comes back. And silver is like that too, and it also is mentioned in the next chapter of, of, of First Peter. Interesting, it says gold, more value than gold which perishes. Even though chemists will say that gold cannot be destroyed, everything can be destroyed, can't it? And that, but it is such a permanent metal. It is not our faith that is worth more than gold. It is the proven genuineness of our faith. The trials that we go through um, purify us just like gold is purified. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. That's our faith. Thank you.